the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Uh, Great night. Uh, By the way, if you feel something funny in San Diego right about now, my father, the original Ed Martin, Ed Martin Sr., just arrived a few hours ago in San Diego. So he's probably in, in Little Italy, or he might be over in the Old Town. He's he's looking for a meal, I'm sure. He's in town for a few days. So if you see somebody wandering around that's devilishly handsome, almost as good-looking as me, that's probably my dad. And uh, he loves going to San Diego, and uh, it'd be fun for him to be out there. So beware. Beware. Uh, well, great to be with you again. Thank you for listening. Go to Ed. Our Constitution's too amazing. Our country is just too special to keep putting us through this sham of an impeachment. And that's what you, what you need to know. What you need to know today is, it's I, yesterday I was mad at Mitt, two days before I was fired up about something or other, and tomorrow we're celebrating Brexit Day, of course, as uh, the U- UK gets free, and as our president said in that open, uh, you want more democracy, you want more power to the people, get more sovereignty, get away from things like the EU and other entanglements, so that'll be great tomorrow. But today, I want to celebrate America's greatness I want to mention, I want to focus on how great we are. In a couple minutes, we'll talk to a really cool man, Steve Mosier. He's a writer, he's a researcher, and he's going to talk about the difference between us and China and uh, the Chinese communists, actually, and what the, what their problem is and how we are doing better than they are. And it's an extraordinary story. And we'll also talk later on about how the President of the United States made some promises on judges, which relates to this first topic I'm about to talk about. And he lived up to it. And that's pretty cool. And uh, we'll also hear from Ted Malik all the way from over in London. He's getting ready. Ted Malik, his new book is out. We'll talk to him about that. It's called Trump's World. Extraordinary book. And we will talk to him. He's getting ready. Counting down. Uh, Uh, to tomorrow night when uh, the UK gets free. But first, what you need to know, and we're going to bring on a guest, a friend of mine, Michael Pack, uh, what you need to know is America is so exceptional. And it's exceptional almost entirely because we put ourselves together and all that we do allows unbelievable people to succeed and flourish. And one of the more extraordinary men in American life now, and I'd say American history, is a guy named Clarence Thomas. And Clarence Thomas's life is in every way the sort of rags to riches, uh, from no power to, you know, real powerful, from, you know, brokenness to, you know, uh, to sat on the Supreme Court. He's one of the uh, most interesting men. You talk about his wife. He's got an incredible relationship with his wife and his family. Well, there's a documentary, and I want to welcome Michael Pack uh, to the program. Michael Pack is mm-hmm. uh, a documentary filmmaker. He's been a uh, head at uh, Claremont Institute. He's, um, he's a, uh, I'd say he's a culture warrior, but he's more of a, a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a creator of content that, that lets people understand things better mm. based on where we are, which is documentaries and movies and, and his writings. And he is the one who has led, along with his wife, uh, the development of a new documentary, which launches tomorrow night. It's called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. So first of all, welcome, Michael. Thank you for being on the program. Thank you, Ed. Good to be on. 
Well, so tomorrow night it kicks off, I think, in a lot of theaters across the country. I'll be going in Georgetown in D.C. on Saturday night. I'm pretty excited because my wife and I are getting away from all the kids and we'll be with, with actually Michael and his wife at the, at the viewing. Mm. And there'll be one of these Q&As after. So, but first, Michael, tell me how you and your wife came to get this together. I mean, did you decide you liked uh, Clarence Thomas and his life and you went and found it? Did they find you? How did these things happen? Well, we had heard, excuse me, we had heard from mutual friends that he was uh, getting tired of having his life story defined and told by his enemies, and he was tired of the misrepresentations and outright lies about him. And so we met with him, and at that point, I mainly knew about him through the confirmation battles, which I remembered well from 1991. But in talking to him and doing the research, I discovered that he has a great personal story, as you mentioned in the intro. I mean, it's justicethomasmovie.com. Mm-hmm. You'll see all the screenings and availability. All right, so the the, the, um, the documentary... Well, let me, let, is, excuse me, Ed. Let yep, me just add that if it's not in, the, on that website, they li- we list where it's playing, but if it's not playing near you, if there are 30 or more of you, we can make a screening happen near where you are. I mean, there's one, for instance, huh. in San Diego. At, at the, like, yeah, I great. It's in your area. The AMC yeah, it is, yeah. Valley 18. Which I think, you know, California's a big state. It might be a half hour away, but I appeal to you to drive there, especially this opening weekend and go. After all, as you pointed out, Ed, you're going. If people show up, you've really got to buy tickets and actually show up and bring your friends. So, well, let me say it's it's in L.A. It's also it's also in L.A. It's you go to the website. It's in L.A. It's at the Burbank Town Center and uh, up in Orange County. It's in Sacramento. Right. It's really all across the country. But my pitch to people, too, with you, Michael, is if you want to see these kinds of stories told and it's a good it's a very good documentary. It's a very good it's a very good thing to do for the time. But if you want to see him shown, uh, you got to go out and support him. You got to sort of pop them and people right. notice that it doesn't you know, it doesn't That's have right. to sell out every theater, but people have to have some interest. Sorry. But back up one thing about this is so interesting to me he is the silent man on the bench in his years mm. and years since the early 1990s when he is on the bench he and he's only commented a few times about why but one of the comments was typical uh, clarence thomas he said I, I just don't you know i'm not going to ask questions just to hear my voice so he's very rarely asked questions i mean a handful of times and now in this documentary he talks i mean you you, you had 30 hours 40 hours or tell me yeah. what it was of him talking that to pick from tell us about that well, that's right. You know, we once we decided to tell his story and he agreed, we were initially going to interview a whole bunch of people. You hear his personal life story of, you know, gaining a deep Catholic faith, losing it, coming back to it, uh, going through a period of raised by his grandfather, but then rejecting all that, being a, 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 a black radical in the late 60s, supporting the Panthers and others, and then coming back to conservatism. It, it's a, you mentioned this earlier, Ed, but it's a, it's a story with many twists and turns. And you know, Justice Thomas talks what it's like, talks, it explains what it's like to go through all that, to say nothing of what it was like for him to live through the confirmation battle um, in 1991. 
Well, I just got about a minute left, so I got to be careful. I tell you, but I'll tell you quickly, Michael. Mm-hmm. I was reading uh, P- Peter Ackroyd's uh, history of Thomas More. Uh, you know his his biography ah, of Thomas More, yeah. and he said in there, Thomas More was raised with um, around him the stories of the saints as models mm-hmm. of goodness. And one of the things that you know Thomas is to me is a model for people that have not you know that just he, he, nothing was going right in a way. He even went to the seminary and sort of left because it didn't fit. He didn't have. You know, he got he got in some ways saved by Father Brooks of Holy Cross, my alma mater too. Yeah, but that's right. but he didn't get a right. he didn't get these. It, it's kind of it, a lot of things went against him, and yet he still made it. And and it's um that's sort of uh, what we need more of, just to realize you can make it. That's right. It's a story of great resiliency, and he refused to define himself as a victim, in spite of all those difficulties. I, I hope it's an inspiring story. I think people should bring you know, their their children to it, and they should bring people who don't agree with them politically. I think most of them would be interested to hear what this kind of important person with his unusual life has to say, even if they don't agree with him. Yeah, great. Thank you, Michael. I got to run. Michael Pack, the, the movie, is go to justicemovie.com, justicemovie.com, find out. It's Justice called Created Thomas Equal. Justice Thomas so, oh, sorry, Justice, excuse me, Justice Thomas movie. Jeez, jeez, sorry about that. JusticeThomasMovie.com, <laughs> JusticeThomasMovie.com, created equal. Uh, Clarence Thomas is known in his own words. I'm going to see it. You should, too. It'll be great. Thanks very much, Michael. Have a great weekend. Good luck. Congratulations. What an achievement to get this done, uh, and it'll be wonderful. And uh, we'll take a quick break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. There's nothing more Pro-America than Clarence Thomas. It's awesome. We'll be right back. The Answer San Diego, streaming now on iHeart.com and Radio.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here, the Pro-America Report. Uh, this next, uh, Our next guest is a man named Steve Mosher. And Steve is a really, really smart guy. He heads up something called the Population Research Institute. If you go there, you'll see more about how... Here's the great thing about it site. It's about all these efforts to tell you how the global population's out of control and how you should have abortion and population control is necessary and overpopulation. And Steve is very, very smart and goes through and breaks this stuff down, tells you where the lies are. What you do there is you learn what's lies, which is important, but then you also learn a lot, a lot of truth. And it's really helpful. And Steve's a very uh, prolific writer. And in fact, we're getting ready to have him on the show because we're talking about uh, a, 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 a post I think I saw of his about the Chinese communists. They lie about uh, almost oh, they lie about everything uh, but why wouldn't they lie about the babies they have and then uh, he sent me something and said well I just posted another article uh, that's over at LifeSite uh, News so welcome uh, Stephen Mosier how are you sir I'm good Ed thanks for having me on the show First of all, you're watching. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, we're, Stephen, we're watching China not be able to handle the uh, uh, coronavirus or however they're handling. It, it's pretty inept. And a lot of people are going, wow, it uh, doesn't seem like they quite have things under control before. Now, the media, they control the media. So you didn't see a lot of things. How what is it really like in China? I mean, what is what is, uh, uh, you know, do they have a command control over it? It's one point three billion people. Is it is it messier than it looks like from the outside? Oh, well, it's, it's a culture of corruption. It's a culture of deceit. All, all the officials are, are lying about uh, the situation in the county or the province where they live. And that's what, what caused the, the epidemic in China. Let's, let's be clear about one thing. You know, the, the coronavirus may be a freak of nature. It may be something that escaped from a, 
Bio Warfare Lab in, in Wuhan, which is only a few miles away from the city. But whatever the origin, whatever the origin, uh, the, the, the epidemic is a direct responsibility of the Chinese Communist Party because they hit it. They hit it for weeks. We now know that uh, the first case, they had the first case of the uh, uh, coronavirus back on December 1st. Well, they didn't report it until January, weeks later. Meanwhile, it was spreading slowly, stealthily throughout the population. So the the way you control these things, the way we're doing it, and, you know, I want to tell everybody here, I think we've got a handle on this thing because we're quarantining uh, people who are suspected of having the disease. Uh, This is a tactic that's been used for centuries, right? During the Middle Ages, uh, we used to quarantine whole cities. Uh, because of the Black right. Plague, we wanted to stop the bubonic plague from spreading. And so we, we, we you know, the people we pulled out of Wuhan on the plane, they're going to be uh, in quarantine for several days. We're going to make sure they don't aren't carrying the virus before we let them out among the general population. That didn't happen in China because the lower level officials were pretending it didn't exist. They were hoping it would go away. They didn't want a black mark on their record. They didn't want to have to report to the central government and say, uh, we've got, you know, a the beginnings of an epidemic on our hand. So they hit it. They didn't put a quarantine on it when they should have. Instead, it spread throughout the population. And by the time they, they finally decided to put a quarantine on the, uh, on the population, guess what? You know, thousands upon thousands of people were carriers. And it was right before the Chinese New Year. Now, that the biggest human migration on the planet it takes place in China at the Lunar New Year, because hundreds of millions of people leave the cities, leave the towns, and go back to their native places, their villages, their towns, their cities that they're from. So there are hundreds of millions of people moving around China over the last couple of weeks. Well, five million people left the city of Wuhan, the center of the epidemic, before they put a quarantine on the city. So it was like, you know, in epidemic terms, it's like an atomic bomb going off. The fallout is now falling all over China Every province, every major city has multiple cases of this coronavirus. It should never, you know, this shouldn't be the case. This is an absolute failure of a system based on corruption and deceit. So I say that the virus may be a freak of nature, but the epidemic, the deaths are the responsibility of the Chinese Communist Party, which, by the way, is the biggest killing machine in human history. These people are very good at killing off their fellow Chinese. Uh, let me let me say let, let me say real quickly, and I want to get back to your your, your it's great Stephen W. Mosier is his name, and, and by the way, the uh, the website is one of my favorite Population Research Institute. The website is pop dot org p o p dot org, and uh, and of course uh, among the other things that Stephen's done is uh, best selling author of uh, a book called A Mother's Ordeal: One Woman's Fight Against One China's One Child Policy, and that's what I want to go to real quick. A, a column you wrote: um, China's also been lying about their their uh, problem of population because of their own what they've been doing. Walk us through that and your point in this recent piece you wrote. Well, you know, I, I, I used to teach at Stanford University. I was the first American allowed to go into China and do research. This was way back in, in 1980. I was in the operating room when they were forcibly aborting women who were six, seven, eight, nine months pregnant. Uh, they were doing it by cesarean section. They were opening up the women like 10 cans, giving the babies lethal injections. So this is the one-child oh. policy, the way it was being carried out in China, beginning in 1980 and ending only in 2016. They eliminated at 400 million people from their population by these draconian measures, by forcing women to have abortions, by, by uh, wow. rounding up women, by locking them up, by brainwashing them, by taking them under force to, uh, to local medical clinics and then uh, killing, wounding the mother, of course, and, and, and killing the babies. Now, what does that mean 
in demographic terms. Well, it means that China's population is is, is aging and dying at an, at an amazing rate. China's population is now, on average, older than the average age of the American population, number one. Number two, they are now decreasing in population how do you how do you send the most populous country in the world into population decline well one way to do it is to eliminate 400 million people from the population and number three most many of those eliminated were little girls well guess what wow. uh, they grew up into women who have babies if you eliminate girls from the population you cause an even sharper steeper population decline and that's exactly what they've done so they They've shot themselves in the foot. This wasn't a program that was welcomed by the Chinese people. It wasn't voted on by the Chinese people. China isn't democracy. It was imposed on them by the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the band of geniuses who thought that if they just eliminated half of the next two generations, China would grow rich overnight. Well, it's not rich yet, uh, but it's getting old real fast. So China is still relatively poor, but it's aging more rapidly than any human population. Uh, so it's a terrible tragedy well, for the Chinese people. And and I, and I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, the th- the thing about it, I guess I would say, is one great thing about these last this last year or so, and I just have a less than a minute left, is we've had a light shine on the communist government. They they're doing they're they're, sho- they're shoving fentanyl on us. They're they're uh, persecuting yeah. the Fulan Gong. They're persecuting the Uyghurs. They can't control the the coronavirus. And as you point out, they're they're in a a death spiral literally from their own birth policies. Uh well, Stephen Mosier, I I got to run Stephen and I make sure Population Research Research Institute really worthwhile pop.org what Stephen is doing and his team there as they say on the front exposing the facts, uh, but also that you expose what's a lie they'll tell you about that and then they'll teach you the rest of what's happening so thanks very much Stephen. appreciate it very much uh very grateful Thank and then we'll have you back on again it's important to keep uh, track of this so uh, all right we got to take a break though when we come back we've got uh, ted malik and i'll wrap things up later on the program with promises made promises kept by donald trump this one about the judiciary uh, we will be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report on the answer san diego I'll be right back Answer San Diego. Streaming now on TuneIn.com and Radio.com. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. My old friend Ted Malik is with us. You go to tedmalik.com. That's T-E-D-M-A-L-L-O-C-H.com. And he is a noted writer, of course. Uh, he's an author, columnist often now at over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com, and written a number of books. And he's a businessman, a professor, all kinds of hats he wears. But today, I want to ask him about his new book. We've talked a little bit about it before. It's out now. It's Trump's World, uh, and it's about what Trump means to the world. He, of course, is based in London, England. And uh, welcome back to the program, Ted. How are you? I'm great, Ed. It's Brexit week, so we're counting the hours <laughs> down until Friday at 11 p.m. when the European Union then has its divorce from the United Kingdom. 
yeah, it's an extraordinary week. That's what I was going to say to you. But before we get to that, let me say in, in your new book, Trump's World, uh, the uh, foreword, the introduction is written by uh, Matteo Salvini, the previously uh, a minister in the Italian government, uh, and uh, he is uh, now leading the opposition in Italy. They had some elections recently. What's your sense of uh, Salvini? He's often called the Trump of Italy. Is Salvini's star still rising? Is Italy, Italian politics forever broken? What's your sense over there? Just to, to see what you thought about what your uh, you know kind of introducer in your book said. Uh, well, uh, indeed, he was the interior minister and uh, deputy prime minister. He's the leader of the League, which is the opposition party presently. After the weekend's elections, which went very badly for the five-star movement and very well for his party, the League, it uh, is very likely, I would say, within 30 to 60 days, that we'll see the announcement of uh, yet another Italian uh, national election, in which case Matteo Salvini's party, uh, the Lega, will probably, at 35 to 50 or maybe 45 percent, become the new uh, majority party in Italy, form a coalition government, and he will be the prime minister of Italy, in my estimation, within two to three months. Wow. Well, we're talking with Ted Malik, and of course, I mentioned his book is Trump's World, uh, but he's also filling us in on what Salvini's world, of course. And Salvini, as you've said before, he he rode to uh, prominence by uh, identifying the problem of, uh, immig- among other things, of the broken immigration system, especially the refugee crisis. All right, back uh, to your book. Uh, watching this president, you know, a couple days ago, I talked about it last night on the show. Uh, someone said, well, one of the Iranian ministers wants to uh, talk, but just wants the sanctions dropped and Trump said, no, thank you. You know, the Trump doctrine and you're writing about Trump's world. It's kind of this thing like it's it's basically a businessman's approach. We're not going to we're not going to cut deals before there's a real deal to cut. I mean, talk about that. Yeah, I mean, we have a historic precedent. I, mean, I was just watching uh, the president announce his Mideast plan. I mean, it, almost every day there are two or three things he does to disrupt the, the present order and bring in a new populist kind of nationalist orientation, which will end globalism and make nation states sovereign again. I mean, Steve Bannon said about my book that you know, the rise of Donald Trump stands as a complete rejection of those who attempted to sell the notion that America and the West were in permanent decline. I mean, this is, in fact, what Trump is doing. He's making America great again, day by day, hour by hour. And, I mean, we just, uh, in this book, basically spell out what is his worldview, what is political philosophy, what is his economic model, what is spiritually motivating him, and it is, and how does that then get enacted in a whole set of foreign policies, and it's it's an incredible, incredible period, uh, frankly, to watch how America has shifted under presidency of Donald Trump. Uh, we're talking with Ted Malik, and again, the book is Trump's World, uh, and uh, it is available everywhere you find books. Uh, I, I have a copy, and it's, it is really worth, as you say, uh, Ted. It kind of lays out sort of what he's said and, and meant and how it's playing out, uh, which is extraordinary. Um, now, let me shift then to Brexit. Uh, what Trump has said is anybody who wants to make a deal anytime, any place, I'll make a good deal for America. It'll be good for you, too. Um, while qu- Brexit happens, how quickly is, uh, is there a British... American deal on trade? Well, I, I said that it would take nine months, 
Uh, Secretary of the Treasury Mnuchin said this last week in Davos, it could take 11 months. So let's split the difference between the two of us and say it's going to take 10 months. Um, and then we can have, uh, I mean, we have already a U.S.-U.K. special relationship that's longstanding. We can embody that in the new free trade agreement, and the British can start eating chlorinated chicken, as I joked with them. But, uh, I mean, the fact is, it's a huge <laughs> opportunity for Boris Johnson's government to, uh, obviously, to have a trade agreement with the EU. They have a trading relationship there. They're negotiating that. But to have something significant with the U.S., and I would say eventually with the entire Commonwealth, you could have a situation where within two to three years, Britain is really uh, prospering unlike any other country in Europe. Uh, we're t- again, we're talking with Ted Malika, and uh, his book is Trump's World. Um, can I ask you, do, do the Brits associate uh, the Brexit with Trump? I mean, they happen for, Brexit happened first, although it's taken all these years to actually be enacted. Do they associate Trump with Brexit? Well, I think intellectual people or people that are thoughtful do because they see the, you know, the whole origins of what I call the populist nationalist movement, which is global. So you have it in India, you have it in Brazil, you have it in Italy. We just talked about that. You have it in France. You have it everywhere, frankly, these days. Um, but they're very much associated with, with this icon, this geoduce, as we call him. He's a, a new emperor in so many ways with Donald Trump, who actually favored the Brexit vote before it was taken and before he was president. Uh, and uh, he's basically embraced it ever since. Uh, and Ted, do you think um, do you think that uh, uh, the w- will there be anything significant like when the Brexit a- actually happens on Friday night? I was talking to a Scottish friend of mine. He said it's taken so long to do it. Any of the fears people have, it's 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 been months and months and years and years. There's not anything dramatic that's going to happen. This is going to be this uh, this Friday in the evening. Is there anything that's going to change that Brits will notice that minute or not really? Well, there is a a one-year period during which many things stay the same, and they negotiate a free trade agreement with the European Union. So I don't think there'll be, you know, huge demonstrable shifts. I mean, there'll be some regulatory movements, you know, probably some new movements uh, about visas to travel, you know, some things of that sort. But the significant thing is that it ends that 40-year relationship that the Brits have had with the European Union, which is really a socialist body. I called it and got in trouble for calling it the EUSSR, but it's, it's you know, very much, uh, outside of the British tradition. So now they're free of that, make their own laws, have their own trade agreements, make their own tariffs, their own foreign policy, and they're not dictated then by the idiocy of Brussels. Yeah, I you know we're talking with Ted Malik again. Uh, his book is uh, Trump's World, available wherever you get books. Uh, um, I want to ask you now. Speaking of imports, um, I watched Alan Dershowitz earlier this week on the President's Defense Team, and he mentioned how impeachment is uh, 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 an import from England, from the Brits, and that he cautioned, as did a number of the other defense uh, uh, lawyers for the president, that you don't want impeachment to become, you know, make it into a parliamentary uh, democracy instead of the republic we have. Have. What's your observation? You've seen, you've watched a lot of Dershowitz politics. Is certainly right uh, on that as a legal scholar, but I mean, even more profoundly, if you looked at Ken Starr's first presentation, uh, 
you know, uh, who's also a brilliant lawyer, he basically argued that this history of impeachment was intended by the framers to be, you know, very rarely used in only very, very high uh, cases, which met that threshold. And it has been used more and more, particularly to uh, impeach judges, but then to impeach you know, presidents, you know, within our lifetime. So we need to move away from that and, and, and not use it as a kind of political tool, which, in fact, is what is happening here. We have a policy dispute over the Ukraine, and we have an impeachment. I mean, because the Democratic Party cannot find a candidate to defeat Donald Trump at the polls in 2020, they're impeaching him right now. It is amazing. Well, thank you, Ted Mallet. Good luck with the book. As always, keep us on your uh, short list of folks. We'll get when we see another one of your columns, which seem to come every couple of minutes. Uh, uh, we'll get you on again. We appreciate Trump's World with Ted Mallet. Go to tedmallet.com and also anywhere you buy your books and uh, grab it. Uh, appreciate it very much, Ted. And, uh, and good luck. Happy Brexit Day uh, uh, coming soon. Enjoy it. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun and, and a culmination of a lot of things that you thought would happen. So we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. On the answer, San Diego. Be right back. FM 96.1 and AM 1170. The answer. Ed Martin and the Pro America Report. On the answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here. Great to be with you. Pro America Report. Thank you uh, for listening. And don't forget the answer, San Diego.com to find out more and follow things. And EdMartinLive.com. EdMartinLive.com. Go sign up there. Put your email address in. We'll get you a morning email every morning, 5 a.m. Pacific time. You want to get that. All right. Um, couple wrap-up things. One, um, we have had two great interviews with uh, folks, uh, experts on Brexit. And maybe that's the best way to say it. One is Raheem Kassam, who is British, who was born there, raised there, and lived there. He lives in the United States now, too. But um, he was involved with Brexit. He was Nigel Farage's spokesman and senior campaign advisor and all. Um, and Raheem Kassam's interview from, I guess, last night, extraordinary. And you'll want to listen to that. And also, of course, Ted Malik's interview tonight, the great author, uh, Ted Malik. I wrote a new book called Trump's World and has been uh, active in the um, conservative movement for 40 years uh, and a leader, especially in identifying and, uh, and describing what's happening. And his interview tonight, excellent. So both of those are available if you go to edmartinlive.com and also on my social media, you can find those. I encourage you to read those and pass them around. Tomorrow is Brexit Day, uh, celebrating the official departure from the EU of Britain. It'll take, as um, Raheem Kassam said about a part of a year uh, for all of that to be accomplished, but still an extraordinary day tomorrow, five o'clock uh, East Coast time, uh, two o'clock in, in San Diego, you'll be able to celebrate the uh, end of uh, the European Union and the British Partnership. Look for, as I mentioned earlier, a fast deal between the United States and Britain. Faster than even, I think it was Ted Malik or maybe Raheem said they thought, uh, oh, it was Ted. He said, uh, people say 11 months, some people say 9 months. He splits a difference 10 months. I would be, I would bet that you will see a deal done between Britain and America in the next six months. And think about why uh, both Boris Johnson and Donald Trump are showmen. They like to, uh, they like to uh, play to the crowd and all. And uh, President Trump knows, hey, get a deal done in the next six months. And it's echoing and resonating into the election cycle, uh, uh, which matters, of course. And I do recall that... Um, 
months ago now, Mark Sutherland, who's a friend of mine who is uh, Scottish by birth, lives in America now. He's an American citizen now, but does a ton of work in Britain. And he said, um, everybody knows Brexit's going to happen. It's sort of baked in any of the worries. And he said it'll be fine. He thinks it will actually be a boom uh, time right after because some of the folks have been holding their uh, sort of development fire for a while, waiting to see exactly what happens. So we'll look forward, forward to that. All right. But let me get to promises made, promises kept 2020. This is a new feature I'm doing. Promises made, promises kept 2020. And we're talking today about judges. Now, you've heard me talk a lot about President Trump having an impact on judges. And it's true. I mean, it's extraordinary and it's true. Um, And he's now appointed just under 200 judges who have been confirmed. I mean, so it's not just appointments. It's one thing to be, excuse me, yes, you nominate someone, they get a, uh, uh, confirmed, so therefore they're appointed to the bench. So he has just under 200 nominees confirmed by the Senate and on the bench. Extraordinary, extraordinary transformation uh, of the federal judiciary that will last a long time. Now, promises made, promises kept. The pre- the president talked about that. I, the only time I met Donald Trump before he became president, actually, I met him twice, uh, but the first time I met him was in a room with Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, when he did, in fact, promise uh, that he would appoint judges, conservative judges. He promised Phyllis that. Um, so another promise made, promise kept. Extraordinary. Uh, but here's the thing you need to think about. Uh, President Trump has put 200 members of uh, 200 judges on the bench, including two on the U.S. Supreme Court, which I'll talk about in a minute, which is actually why I wrote down this uh, topic. But here's the more interesting thing. Uh, I was looking at a, the analysis of the of the nearly 200 judges and and almost two thirds were appointed under Republicans. Meaning, you know, you're replacing one so-called conservative with another so-called conservative, at least directionally. You know, you're appointing, you're replacing a Bush appointee with a a Trump appointee or even a Bush one appointee with a Bush uh, with a Trump appointee. You get the point. The real power of a second term of Donald Trump, if he can hold the Senate, and I think he will, the Republicans will, is another 200 judges and, and it'll be flipped. Two thirds of the judges that will have to take retirement in the next four years will be Democrat appointees. So you'd be replacing liberal with uh, liberal with conservative, at least ostensibly. Now, think about this. Uh, I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg is in her late 80s, but Justice Breyer is 81. And so in theory, you're talking about two justices that could be uh, replaced in the next five years, including this year. That's a huge influence. Now go like this. There's a lot of talk that Clarence Thomas, and I mentioned earlier in the show, this great documentary that's coming out. Clarence Thomas has, um, it's been widely you know, speculated, maybe he would retire. And so you could go from a 70, what, four-year-old, five-year-old, I guess he was in, uh, yeah, he's probably 70, maybe he's 75. He could, you could go down to, you know, uh, put a new conservative on that's 20 years younger and, and lengthen the service. So, and here's my point. Uh, uh, two, three days ago, and I mentioned this last night, the Supreme Court voted five to four uh, on a decision that allowed the president's uh, administration to enforce what's called the public charge rule. And the public charge rule says that you can restrict new immigrants to the country if they come to America from getting green cards, which means you can restrict them from staying if they're not likely to be uh, independent. So if they're pri- if they if they are the designation, if they're primarily dependent on the government for food, stamps, Medicaid, they can be denied a green card. In other words, you don't have to take every 
everyone that comes if they're not able to. They're going to just be a public charge. This is a way that the administration can sort of say, hey, we may have some socialist policies like Medicaid and, and other giveaways, and we can't let the whole world come and claim them. And so that seems commonsensical. It's at least a judgment. If, if Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders wants to say that anybody who comes here in any way can automatically get a green card and stay legally and be on the public charge, that's up to them. It's a policy. Uh, uh, it's a policy preference. But in this case, Trump tried to change. Well, the, he was he was stopped from doing it by a court in Illinois. And the court in Illinois said, yeah, 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 we're going to tell you you can't do it. And then they said, we're going to a nationwide injunction over all the, uh, the whole country to stop you. And this is outrageous. And, and since the Trump administration started, there have been 40, uh, almost 40, I think it's 40, 41 nationwide injunctions by, done by a judge. This judge had jurisdiction over the people of a certain portion of Illinois and a certain landmass in Illinois. I think it was the Southern District of Illinois. But and then he said, no, no, I'm going to p- apply it to the whole country. That's not how it works. And so but my my emphasis here is the vote was five to four and the vote was five to four. The five more conservative justices against the four liberal justices. And this is on an issue of whether the judges should be ruling our lives through, you know, federal judges at the local level. You know, the district court judge in the eastern district of Missouri or in the uh, in the western district of Missouri. Those are the two courts I know the best from when I practice law. Should that judge be able to apply the whole country or remember the district court judge in Hawaii who said, I'm going to put a ban. I'm going to nationwide uh, uh, stay on implementation of uh, this through an injunction. It's a crazy system. It can't. It's not a sustainable system, actually. That's the problem. And that's what Gorsuch went uh, made a point. But here's my back to my thing. Promises made promises kept. The president said he would replace Scalia with a real conservative. He did. Uh, he would said he would rep- appoint judges like Scalia and Thomas. He has. And it's directly changing the country. That's elections have consequences. Now, frankly, I, I will tell you, I want the judges to have less influence over our lives. Uh, I want them to stop being so dominant in our lives. But for now, the importance is to get the, 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 the lefties, the liberals out and get more conservative ones who will abide by the Constitution and the rule of law and our values. And it's a big, big deal. Amazing. It's a really a miraculous thing. So a uh, uh, good promise made, a good promise kept uh, by Donald Trump. And the difference is at every level, not just the big ones you see, the big cases you see, but also these other sort of process arguments about injunctions and things like that. So uh, very good and very helpful. So congratulations. All right. We better wrap things up. We'll be celebrating Brexit Day tomorrow. So I hope you'll come back and be a part of that. I won't be drinking gin and tonic. Well, I don't drink anymore, but we don't we drink any gin and tonics on the air, but we'll be celebrating Brexit Day. Again, go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com to find the show. Uh, get podcast anywhere you get a podcast. iTunes, Google Play, EdMartinLive.com. We'll have the Raheem Kassam and uh, Ted Malik um, uh, links up there you can get or go to social media at Eagle Ed Martin to track me down. Thank you, as always, to our technical director, Noah, and our producer out in St. Louis, Joanna. We will be back tomorrow, same time, 7 o'clock San Diego time, California time, East Coast, West Coast time, and available all the time on the Internet through the TheAnswerSanDiego.com to listen live or get the podcast. Have a great night, everybody. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.